electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And uh, as, as a former union president for the Ironworkers, All right, Fed Chair Jay Powell a, telling Congress uh, it is appropriate to raise rates uh, further and that inflation has moderated but you know, still has a long way to go. Remarks very much in line with what the chairman said in his post-meeting presser about a week ago. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We're, of course, going to monitor the rest of that hearing and bring you any necessary highlights as they develop there down in D.C. In the meantime, stocks are trying to avoid a third straight day of losses this hour. The investment committee is with me to assess what all of this means to your money. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, Jason Snipe, our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, is with us as well. I'll show you what the markets are doing. We're largely in uh, the red across the board. Yields have been higher, uh, as the Fed chair was speaking, really when his testimony came out earlier in the day. And I guess on that note, Steve... To me, this very much sounded like a Fed chair who was justifying his latest rate hike, not one who just paused. Yeah, or certainly justifying the next rate hike that may come through, uh, Scott. I think that's an interesting way to put it. Um, a little bit more certainty out there in his uh, talk and his, the words that he used that rates are probably going up uh, in the July meeting. I don't think that's a big surprise to the market. I don't see very much change in the probabilities in the Fed funds market. Still about a 75% chance of a rate hike. Uh, but no follow-on from that, Scott, which I think is interesting in the sense that the market has refused since that um, uh, projection came out to price in that second hike. It's still not pricing it in, just a little bit of a, of a probability. <clears throat> Pardon me on that. Um, I, I think what was interesting about that was he said, it's not really important the speed with which we get there. That was the concern in the summer when they were raising 75 basis points. Uh, now it's just about the level and getting the level right. So he's in no particular hurry there. He said they were on hold to look at the um, effect of prior rate hikes as well as to assess the impact of credit tightening by the banking sector. But he did sort of lean forward in the sense of another quarter point hike. And, of course, got a lot of questions about new banking regulations Republicans Putting the chair on notice, they will not look kindly on new regulations put forward from the Federal Reserve when it comes if it comes to higher capital requirements by the uh, by federal regulators. I, I just don't understand, to be honest with you, Steve, <clears throat> listening to the Fed chair today. Um, if he's going to stick to his message, why they just didn't hike another 25 uh, a week ago? What 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 is possibly going to show itself? between the June meeting and a July meeting that would show the cumulative effects of the rate hikes they've already done? Um, you know, Scott, I, I don't disagree with you, but I'll try to give you the answer that maybe the Fed would come up with, which is this, which is um, giving the market more time to price it in, to, uh, to deal with higher rates, 
and to deal with the cumulative effect of what's happened already. Um, if there's no hurry to get it done, you put the market on notice that it's coming, you can do it. There was a period of time, I want to say 2019, when the Fed was hiking every other meeting uh, to kind of feel its way to the right level. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Perhaps the idea is it does a little less harm to the economy and to the banking sector and to the financial system more broadly by going more slowly. But maybe the market thinks that the Fed share is bluffing or it just doesn't believe that the Fed's going to do in July what it seems to suggest that it will. I, I get you that rates are you know, moving higher today. Stock market's not, not all that upset by, by what it got today, and it certainly hasn't acted all that upset from what it got a week ago. No, I mean, it's hard to know exactly what the stock market internalizes. I can look visually at what the bond market and what the Fed funds market is internalizing, and they have internalized this it's, this, uh, this hike, so they're not, they're not calling his bluff on that. They believe him. And now I'm looking, Scott, if you want to say the high water mark is the November meeting where there's just a 20% chance of that second hike in there. But again, Scott, remember, markets in the Fed were far apart at a point in time. Uh, there was a big gap between them for the year end. That gap has closed. The, the Fed went 50 basis points further. The market's gone, gone about halfway with them. And they'll get there when they need to get there. If it's every other meeting, look, some things could happen. Scott, you asked me about that. We have a big base effect. You guys talked about that on your show coming up in the CPI report where the big June 2022 number is going to drop out. That could be worth a percentage point uh, by itself and just base effects on CPI. You could have a slowing of the job market that could give the Fed more pause here. It's some probability the Fed doesn't hike. It's a small one, but mm -hmm. there's a probability they don't. And there's a probability they don't do that second hike. The market thinks that probability is closer to 80 percent. But we'll see and let the data figure it out. I think, remember, of all the things you said about um, what Powell had said earlier, he also said decisions will be made meeting by meeting. That means data point by data point with cumulative changes to the outlook for the economy and the forecast. Steve, I appreciate it. As always, Steve Leesman, our senior economics reporter. Sure. So let's move this beyond the Fed and move it to the market, the rally. Um, biggest equity inflows since October is what we're learning today from Bank of America. Six of the 11 sectors saw ETF inflows led by tech for the second straight week, driven largely by hedge funds and institutional clients. So what is the state of the rally today as the summer officially begins? I think today we had a nice reminder that non-profitable technology and consumer discretionary companies, I still don't believe this is the right environment to own them. Look today at DocuSign down 4%, Roblox down 6%, Peloton down over 10%, ARC funds down 4%. So again, it's those long duration assets. It's not profitable technology or growth at a reasonable price. It's the non-profitable areas of the market that in 2020 and 21 rallied so significantly. And I think today was a reminder from the chairman that investing in that type of strategy and those types of stocks this is not the environment well, for because it. if rates continue to go up, those are the kinds of stocks that are going to be more under pressure. And rates suppose. are clearly going up. You've got a two-year. Well, yeah, today they are. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> rates have been going up uh, for the better part now of the last five weeks. On May 4th, a two-year was 365. A two, you're right. A two-year is close to approaching the March 8th high at 508. So, Kerry, KKR's Henry McVeigh was on the network a little while ago, said the time to be negative was at the end of 2021. Savita Subramania has got her most bullish position in the market in the, at least the last 10 years. Steve Suttmeyer, 
Bank of America, the breakout above 4,200 has a FOMO rally. Lori Calvacina, more room to run from RBC. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the bulls are trying to line up it, well, in the face of what is still fairly bearish commentary and positioning elsewhere, right? The yeah. bears don't want to give anything up, but the, bear, the, the people who were more cautious sound more bullish. Well, many of those people that you just mentioned have been extremely cautious until recently. You know, I mean, we don't have to go through names, but we all know well, that almost, all, yeah, but almost <laughs> everyone was extremely negative and they've changed their tune in the last few days. What, what I would say um, in response, you know, we've been bullish on the market this year. What we see now, which, you know, let's just illustrate it um, with, with some numbers. The S&P is up 14 and, and 14 percent roughly so far this year. The top seven names in the S&P and we have the little chart are up 90 percent. Top seven market caps are up 90%. The rest of the market is up 5.3%. Can that persist? I mean, I would say that the market can go up, but you need the rest of the market you, to move but with you, it. You've started and that happening, right? It has we, started. In, the, in months started. to date, industrials yeah. are up something like 7.5%. Yep. Correct. Materials are up like something like 65 Small caps are ahead of Small caps are yep. about the same. Yes. So these areas that were lagging Absolutely. are suddenly... Yes. doing something. Oh, of course. And they need to. And they are. What we don't see, of course, is a continued move in the last week or so of these big cap names because they have to take a pause. They're great companies. They were great stocks. They were inexpensive stocks a year ago. They were very cheap at the end of 2022. But you, know, you can't have these moves up 90 percent, 50 percent, 70 percent without taking a little break and just sort of resetting expectations. So, Jason Snipe, what do I want to do here? The, the crux of the conversation over the last 10 days to two weeks has been, are the bulls firmly in charge now? Right. And it still seems to be in somewhat debate, although the way the market is acting in the face of more hawkish commentary from the Fed, even in the face of interest rates that are moving higher, right. would lead you to believe that this rally still has some legs. Absolutely. Do you think it does? I do. I do. And I, and I think uh, Carrie and Joe line it up well when we're just talking about the breadth, right? You know, industrials, transports, uh, small caps, a lot of these, obviously these sectors have moved well um, over the last couple of weeks. And obviously the story early part of the year has been all about growth in the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100. So when you start to see breadth in the economy, I think that's a positive. Obviously, to Steve's point earlier, there's a base effect. You know, we will see uh, likely a three handle on, on CPI in the next month because of some of the high watermarks are coming off the boil. Um, so I think that will also play into it. Labor, wage inflation is coming down some. Um, so, and, but, but here's the thing. I mean, the co- core inflation is still stubbornly high. That's what the Fed's got to talk about. Credibility is still on the line. So it makes sense that they're having this caucus commentary that they're having. Yeah, um, you're right about that. Um, Joe, okay, so let's talk moves because okay. you got some interesting ones I think our viewers were going to find as such. CrowdStrike, you sold it. I did. Why did you do that? So quality is up 20% so far year to date. And I think one of the things... Uh, that Savita and her appearance on the network underscored yesterday is the market is in a much healthier place. The market is in a place where we're realizing that there are companies that don't need the liquidity for, for the appreciation in their stock price. And those are the companies that have the profitability in the here and now. Uh, CrowdStrike is a name which I purchased in early March at 126. I sold out of it today at 147. It is the least profitable of the cybersecurity names. 
I'm somewhat troubled by the move that we're seeing in yields. This move in yields, it goes far beyond what my expectation was. I thought we had seen a peak in yields. I'm now troubled by the potential that we haven't seen the peak in yields, and we're seeing the widest inversion in the two to 10 year since March. So a name like CrowdStrike in that environment is gonna be challenged. So what what's I'm gonna do- What's the PE? What's the PE? It's, it's an extreme PE relative, relative to Fortinet or Palo Alto. So Scott, what I'm looking to do mm -hmm. is make that valuation trade that I made on June 5th with AMD and Broadcom. I sold out of AMD at 118, a much, uh, much more expensive PE, and I went into Broadcom. They're both going to benefit from generative AI. Went into Broadcom at 788, but Broadcom is a cheaper valuation play. So what I'm doing here is I'm just looking to make the valuation trade in cybersecurity. I didn't enter Palo Alto or Fortinet today because I think the market at some point is going to give me a better entry point. But that's the next move on this exit. Ring the register, take the profit on cyber through CrowdStrike. Okay. Jason Snipe, what do you think about this move? So but you're in Palo Alto, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Palo Alto clearly was uh, my pick in the space. Um, I like their government contract business. I mean, the stock has run a lot. A lot of the cyber names have run a lot. I mean, Palo's and up. This one's done well. Yeah, yeah. And it hasn't done as great as Palo Alto over right. a longer stretch, but it's nonetheless right. had a, a very good run. 100%. So 37% year-to-date. Right, right. And for, for me, as it relates to Palo Alto, just them moving into the profitability sector, I mean, they, they're coming off the fourth uh, consecutive profitable uh, report. Um, you know, in this last quarter, you know, EPS growth has been substantial. Revenue growth has been substantial. So in, in our end, I mean, we're looking at it potentially taking some off the table, you know, as it relates to Palo Alto. You but are that's looking at now. 100%. 100%. Just because of the move that it's had already this year. Most likely Fortinet is the name that I'm going to purchase. That's the okay. Stephanie Link name. And that's, and, and that's more of a quality name. Again, I'm, I'm seeing it yeah. that quality is what right now uh, speculators and investment managers want in their companies. And Fortinet right. has more of that qualitative nature in cybersecurity. When you deem that it has more of a, you know, it, it rings the quality bell yes. more than, say, uh, Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? Free cash flow generation here and now. Um, profitability here and now at not some point in the future. Okay. Debt, return on equity, debt to equity levels that are much stronger. It's not necessarily that they have a better balance sheet. It's that they have financial flexibility to do the things that they ultimately need to do because the profits are here today, yeah, right? Yeah, because the cash flow. And right. therefore, if the profits are here today, they're less reliant on funding operations in the debt market and therefore the volatility with interest rates. Isn't quality in some respects in the eye of the beholder? I mean, no. as it relates to some of these stocks? <laughs> no, I, no, Scott, I mean, quality is an actual <laughs> factor that has billions of dollars uh, investing around it the criteria for how you composite the quality yeah. factor could be different in, in certain circumstances. But there's, the there's a clear, not profitable. There's, there's a clear definition um, of, of what quality looks like. Generally. Why'd you sell gold? You did that also. Yeah, so gold is, again, something that I bought earlier in the year. Sold out half of it in May as we saw yields begin to rise. Exit out of it today because you had a technical break below the 100-day moving average, which you had not done since the fall. 
Um, I still think the environment for gold lean towards you want to own some. But the problem that I see right now for precious metals is the deflationary effect of owning gold seems to be dissipating. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of people think about precious metals and say inflationary environment, because you think about the 70s, inflationary environment, you want to own gold. But in fact, it's when there's a deflationary effect like you had from the regional banking crisis in March, that's the best time to own gold. And you saw the response after March in which precious metals rallied. So oh, wow. I didn't want to turn a, a profitable trade into a losing trade. I might yeah. step back into gold once again from the long side. Certainly wouldn't sell it short here. So are you growing more cautious overall yes. about the market now? Because yes. it well, seems you unmistakable. Know, no, you should, you should know that because I, I've shared with you, uh, I'm a big believer in the historical performance of quarters. And I've clearly stated on the network the first and second quarter, very strong quarters in 2023. And the fourth quarter of 2023, a very strong quarter again. So let's not introduce the premise that this is a negative year. This is a positive year for equities, unless you get some crazy uh, exogenous shock. The challenge is, is that in Q3, that's where you have the highest probability of a flat to negative market. And all I'm doing within that context is making valuation trades. It's not as if I'm moving to cash. I'm making valuation trades. I'm trading out of higher valuation, less profitable stocks into lower valuation, more profitable stocks. Gary. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a, a little bit of a dilemma in that there investors are investors dilemma. Yeah, there are all of these investors who have not been in the market and really want to participate. The only mm -hmm. way they can buy the market, I'm putting quotes around it, it's the S&P is they have to buy Apple and Microsoft and Nvidia and Amazon because they represent a big percent 25% in those top names of of the market. And uh, you know, I can understand you're saying the market could be flat because we get all the rest of the market moving higher because they're selling at a 15 PE, not a 30 PE. However, it's impossible to really invest much money in the market unless you buy those big names. So on the one hand, they might be expensive. On the other hand, that's the way to buy the market. Right. So it's, it's hard to sort of, you know, um, differentiate between the big names going higher and being positive about the market. I mean, I agree with you 100%. I can see the market being flat, the S&P being flat. On the other hand, I keep hearing about people putting money to work. And that means they're not just buying the small cap index. Right. Do we right. think that, do, do you think that the the rally that we've witnessed has, has more room to run? You feel like it's getting tired? Well, today is a day that it seems Forget to be about tired. today. Yeah, I think, it, I, I think it probably has more room to run because people underestimate momentum and underestimate how much pressure there right now is in terms of short, uh, the short sellers having to cover. What about that FOMO idea that one of the notes today uh, had mentioned? And again, just to reiterate this Bank of America deal on the biggest equity inflow since October, record discretionary inflows in their history of the data back to 08. And tech, again, as yeah. I mentioned before, is leading. Yeah. So well, that the money's going to where the money's been made. Yeah. And again, driven by hedge funds and institutions. Yeah, well, they've been too negative. You know, that's, that's what happens. They go through cycles. They got negative a little late in 2022. They've been, uh, you know, net sellers. And now they're trying to be catch up and, yeah. and buy again. And it's not a good way to play the market just based on what these flows are telling us. Right. But that shows that there could be more room 
to run. But, you know, just have to be careful with some of these big names. Jason, um, you bought Stryker. I did. Tell me why. I did. So, uh, you know, and I've talked on the network about this. I, I really like the medical device business. Um, healthcare clearly has underperformed. XLV, I think, is down close to 3% year to date. Um, but procedural volumes are coming back online. I like the spine and orthopedic. Uh, segment of their business. I think I think that's that's really a, a strong catalyst for what they're trying to do. Supply chains have obviously eased, so I think there's some room for margin expansion as it relates to Stryker. And there's momentum in this stock. The stock's up close to 20%, around 20% year to date, and I think there's continued upside from here. That's why we decided to get in. You guys want to give me something real quick on, on Amazon, this FTC uh, suit over uh, what they say are deceptive prime sign-up and, and cancellation processes. Same day that J.P. Morgan reiterates overweight, Jeffries reiterates buy. What do we think uh, about this from those who own it, like Jason Snipe? So, I mean, Amazon's interesting for me. I you mean, care about this? I don't. I don't. I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, obviously, Amazon has done well this year. It's up 48%. You know, but if I look at it over the last five years, it's up only 46%, and the Qs are up double that, you know, over 100%. So, um, for me, you know, I, I think about AWS and the, some of the deceleration there. I think that's a concern for me as it relates to cloud. But I also look at their customer base and AI as being a revolutionary piece of their business going forward and serving as an accelerant based on the data analytics that they already have. I mean, Kerry, the market obviously doesn't really care about it. They just figured, okay, get the checkbook out. Yeah. You, you pay a fine if, if that is the uh, eventual outcome here. Yeah, Otherwise, the market, the stock would be reacting in a different way, Correct. probably. It's down less than a percent. The yeah. stock's exactly where it was before COVID started. Right. Yeah. right. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, chart of the day, FedEx is lower post-earnings. Jason owns that. We'll find out what he's doing with it now. We're back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Dom Chu has a news alert for us as we come back here, Dom. All right, so this is in the sports world and that highly publicized merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. This has now drawn bipartisan congressional scrutiny in the form of Democratic Senator from Connecticut, Richard Blumenthal, also Republican ranking member on the U.S. Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, have now invited PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, the Saudi Public Investment Fund Governor Yasser al-Rumayan, and the Live Golf CEO Greg Norman to testify at a hearing currently slated for July 11th. Uh, Blumenthal says the goal is to uncover the facts about what went into the PGA Tour's deal with the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Ron Johnson saying fans and the players and concerned citizens have many questions about the planned agreement between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. I look forward to hearing testimony from the individuals who are in the best positions to provide insight on this. So 
an interesting development here with regard to not just the public, but also the now congressional and lawmaker scrutiny over this proposed merger that looks to possibly change in a large way, Scott, as you and I both know, the landscape of global golf. We'll continue to bring you more as we know more, but that's the current state of play. I'll send things back over yeah. to you. And um, not a surprise, I don't think, by any stretch that this is, uh, is what seems to be occurring here. Dom, thank you. Dom Chu with the latest regarding uh, that proposed merger. Let's get to our chart of the day now. FedEx is lower after reporting a revenue miss and disappointing guidance as well. Jason Snipe, what do we do with this, right? Stock is, has been blown past by yeah. UPS, hasn't it? Yeah, no, definitely in the short run. I mean, you know, listen, I mean, the stock's still up 31% year to date. It's trading at 12 times earnings. You know, the guide wasn't great. It was obvious, to your point, Scott, it was a revenue miss, uh, speed on EPS. For us, though, there, there's, there's an activist in there. They're focusing on, there's some cost cuts uh, that they're, they're still trying to follow through and, and build off of um, and working through their productivity and, and some of the other things that are going on there. So for us, we're, we're, still, we're still in it. We're evaluating it into, into the next quarter, and we'll see. Uh, but it's, it's been a winner for us, so it's, it's likely we also will look to take some off the table here. All right, Joe. This is where UPS and the T uh, and the yeah, Joe T. Yeah, and, and neither UPS or, or FedEx is contributing significantly, uh, both in, in terms of fundamentals and in terms of, of real per- performance. Yes, FedEx is up over 30% year to date, but it was down 30% last year, yeah. right. year to date. And uh, UPS is struggling after yeah. being up last year. So there's... There's this challenged macro environment, and it conflicts with the narrative that the economy is so strong. If the economy is so strong, why would FedEx Express have the challenges, the demand issues that we're seeing right now? Why would there be such a need to reduce headcount at FedEx? Supply. And, and lastly, you know, now you're going to have in August a UPS strike, which is right. going to be significant, one of the largest strikes that we've seen in this country. Um, Okay, in the interim, that might benefit FedEx a little bit in terms of capturing some of the business, but it's just perplexing when you try and understand where the economy really is. And here are two bellwethers that should give you a succinct read on where the economy is, and it's not consistent with what we're hearing from those that are saying the economy is so strong. Yeah. We have another news alert. Uh, let's get to Steve Kovac. Uh, Steve, what do we have here? Hey there, Scott. Yeah, the information is reporting that Google has filed a complaint with the FTC alleging anti-competitive practices against uh, Microsoft for their cloud business. Now, this is according to the information. The FTC tells me they have not received the complaint yet, but it might come in in a little bit. But basically what they're saying is it's very similar to a complaint they made uh, in the European Union alleging that basically the, the package of enterprise apps those office apps that Microsoft sells. They're using that to leverage their cloud product, their Azure cloud product. Actually, Microsoft changed its pricing a little bit in the EU because of that complaint. Of course, Google is a distant third when it comes to cloud as far as market share goes. Amazon, AWS is number one, and then Microsoft is sitting there right in the middle. Uh, I've reached out to Microsoft and Google. We'll have more as we get it, Scott. Steve Kovac, thank you very much for that. Going to make for a bit of an awkward uh, state dinner on Thursday night when uh, CEOs Pachai and Nadella are at the White House, maybe not sitting next to one yeah, another. It, it's going to be, ew. but what is this? If you can't beat them, sue them. Yeah. Do better. Yeah. Do better. And, and Alphabet has not done a good enough job. Right. They're a distant third with cloud and Microsoft is the leader and they've done it through excellent managerial strategies. 
Yeah. Well, then Microsoft will sue Google about search. You know, I mean, that's what they're, they're going to figure out some way to resolve it by everybody suing each other and coming up with a solution so that they can live, they can all live happily in a big space. All right, let's, uh, let's get the news uh, from Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Hey there, Scott. We have an update on that tourist submersible that went missing in the North Atlantic Sunday. The underwater sounds detected near the search area being described as noises rather than banging. Two senior officials from Homeland Security made the distinction to NBC News. The Titan sub missing despite a search that spans 10,000 square miles near the site of the Titanic wreckage. According to the Coast Guard estimates, there is likely less than a day of oxygen left for the five people on board. China is hitting back after President Biden referred to President Xi Jinping as a dictator. Beijing is calling the remarks absurd and a provocation. Biden's comments came just a day after Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited China to try and stabilize relations. China says are at their lowest point since the two countries formally established ties. And the 21-year-old Air National Guardsman accused of leaking classified national defense information will be arraigned this afternoon in federal court. Jack Teixeira was indicted by a grand jury in Boston earlier this month on six counts. If he's convicted, he could spend as many as 60 years in prison. Scott? All right, Contessa, thank you, Contessa <laughs> Brewer. Up next, trades on three bullish calls of the day. We're back on the half right after this. our calls of the day now. Number one, Nike. Okay, Joe, reiterated by Goldman Sachs. Price target, though, cut to 144 from 148. That's still 30-some-odd percent higher than where it is now. Yeah. Brutal. That's yeah. what it's been. That's been it's been since we put it into the uh, ETF and strategy. Right now, Adidas, that's the right foot. Uh, footwear, apparel, that's the right trade. Foot Locker really took down Nike with uh, its earnings report and, and the inability to recover yeah. whatsoever. So Nike next Thursday, they have to tell a very positive story about reducing inventory and how do you reduce inventory through discounting. That's not good for Nike. Also have to tell a positive story and it's been a muted one surrounding uh, China's ability to contribute to profitability for Nike. All right, Uber, which is also yours, reiterated outperform at Oppenheimer. Technical breakout, without question. Uh, right now, if you're studying the technicals, this is one of the best-looking charts, okay? Breaking out clearly, and it comes on the back of a nice earnings report in which management exhibited the ability to be profitable. Carrie, Adobe gets upgraded to outperform at BMO. The price target to 570 from 500. Yeah. They're bullish on the venture into AI. Big shock. Yeah. Well, Big shock. You know, it's up 43% year-to-date, by the way. Yeah, and up about 50% since four weeks ago. So it's it's really been an unbelievable stock. It was just a dog last year, and there were several times where it looked attractive. We bought it. We bought it again. We thought it was undervalued. We thought this is a market leader in uh, creation and design. But nobody cared because the whole digital advertising market has been very weak, and, of course, 
you know, architecture, construction, um, new office buildings, that's a big part of the market. But things are picking up. They talked about it on the call. They mentioned AI and generative AI so many times I lost track. It was a little too much. But we think that this is still a stock that has a lot of upside. All right. Straight ahead, the energy trade. We'll get all over that. It's the top sector today. The worst, though, this year. We'll find out how the committee is positioning there next. Track and energy, it's the worst performing sector this quarter, down more than 4%. It's the worst performing sector of the year as well. So I'm obviously going to go to you first, Joe. Uh, you continue to believe in this trade. I don't know. You don't look that convinced, though, <laughs> even though you I haven't been convinced. I've been saying that for the last six weeks. It's not 2022. The energy trade is much different in 2023. I'm slowly beginning to unwind what has been an overweight position. EOG, EQT, Chevron Enterprise, Energy Trust. No, no, no. My my point, though, is, like, hasn't the writing been on the wall that the momentum's gone from here? Then why are you still in these names if you're all about momentum? Okay, because, first of all, we rebalance on a quarterly basis. So I don't rebalance every day at 3 o'clock when closing bell comes on. I can't do that because I'm watching closing bell. Can you do it at 4 o'clock? I can't do it at 4 o'clock because I'm so exhausted from watching closing bell because it was so exciting. No, but the momentum wasn't lost in the last last three months. The The momentum's been gone since the end of last year. Okay. At least. The momentum has, without question, slowly dissipated from the energy trade. What happened was you had that little reflex rally in April because of the OPEC announcement that shot the price back up to $85 for oil, okay? And everyone got all excited about it at the time and said, this is why you want to be long energy. And I said at the time, I'm long energy. I'm stuck energy like everyone else. Everyone's overweight. Are you a little upset about it? Everyone comes on to, hold on, everyone comes on to the network. They say the same thing. The fundamentals are in place in energy, underinvestment in energy. That's right. Profitable at 50, profitable at 60. And everyone stuck long energy, myself included. Now, within the energy names that you could own, the MLPs are actually doing okay this year. So there's two names I'll talk about. Energy Transfer Partners, ticker symbol ET, and then EPD. Enterprise Product Partners, that's another MLP. They're both working well. They're both in the JOT ETF. Natural gas is up 16% this quarter. I get it. It's down 70% from its high last year. But we are seeing we are seeing a little bit of a bottoming out process. And that's allowed you to look at a name like EQT, which we bought in the low 30s. Yep. It's approaching 40 now. I'm not looking to get out of it just yet. Keeping my eye on it. It's got a nice profit there. Okay. But actually, natural gas might be your better trade than crude oil. You're shaking your head no. Well, we don't own any energy. And I said many times, I wish we when owned it. When was the last time you 20- owned energy? 2018. Mm. Okay, so we, we, we missed um, 21 and 22. I thought you were going to say 20 years. <laughs> well, it could have been. Well, you said 20, and then you paused. I don't know. Like, it could be 20 years, but I'm just giving years. you a number. I, my, you should have said 2022. My partners will probably tell me, no, we didn't own any energy. Yeah, we probably didn't own yeah. it for 10 years. But we did. We, we were sorry we didn't in 21 and 22. But, you know, that's two years of dramatic outperformance, like yeah. fin- phenomenal yeah. outperformance. And stocks really do it. Sectors really do it three years in a row. It doesn't matter if the fundamentals are good. It's three years, and they couldn't keep up the pace. And a lot of people who own them started to sell them except Warren Buffett. So, you know, I, yeah. I just think it could be difficult. 
Yeah. You have you have some energy too. Chevron, 100%. the XLE. Yep. You chose energy in the stock summit. I did. I did. And I'm hurting just like Joe here, um, you know, down close to 9% year to date. Right. So um, there's clearly softness in oil demand. The, the uh, China un- opening has been uneven. Right. So that that hasn't worked out really well. But I do think oil um, is mispriced here. You know, I, I do think there's still opportunity here. Yes. Why is it mispriced? Because I, I everybody who's long to Joe's point comes on and says they still make the case. Oil's mispriced. Geopolitical demand's going to pick yep. up. Oh, the energy stocks are still profitable with energy at fifty. Here, the same yeah. thing. And I get it. And I and I think you know, listen, cut by OPEC as Joe mentioned, cut by the Saudis. Yeah, it hasn't played out. We're heading into the driving season now. I don't think China will be under the bed under the mat like it's been over the last, you know, since since the opening. That will come back online, and I think that will be a tailwind for energy, and I think that's why I like it. Last word to you. PXD and Devin sold them at the end of April. I was highly criticized for doing so at the hmm. time. But and challenged happy. by who? And challenged by some people by I who? know really well. <laughs> criticized? Well, challenged. Challenged. Good sales at the time. Good sales. Yes. But to your point, should have sold more. And you have to be humble about it. Mm-hmm. And you have to come on the air and say, look, there are certain things you're getting right. There are certain right. things that you're getting wrong. We have a strategy. We have a timeline that's in place for when we can rebalance and reconstitute. That's the end of July. We'll fill in the blanks on energy from there. And I wish a lot of other people would come on and say and the same thing. Because all I hear from everyone is energy's going to the moon. Mm-hmm. I like when you get fired up. I like when you get fired up. I needed a little... <laughs> need a little energy? A little, little, I did. Which need a little spice. Need a little Just spice. A little bit. All right, up next, Mike Santoli. He joins us with his midday word next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. We have another headline we want you to know about from that hearing down on Capitol Hill with the Fed chair, Jay Powell, testifying. Steve, what did he just say? Uh, He kind of endorsed, uh, uh, Scott, the uh, second rate hike. He said uh, most um, uh, uh, Fed officials have one rate hike uh, baked in and a majority have two rate hikes baked in. And he said that's a pretty good guess about what's going to happen if the economy performs as expected. We bring this to you because he had talked about further rate hikes and not necessarily talking about two specifically. And as we as, as we've said before, the market has the one rate hike priced in, but not necessarily the second one. And I'm not seeing much change at all in those probabilities. We're still in that 20 percent probability for a November rate hike. Uh, not much movement there, maybe a little bit more weakness in the stock market, which had been slightly on the green side before he said that. And we'll see uh, if now the market takes a little bit more seriously this idea of the two rate hikes that uh, Fed officials have forecast, uh, it, most Fed officials have forecast in the recent uh, summary of economic projections, Scott. Yeah. Steve, thank you uh, for the latest there. That's Steve sure. Leisman, senior economics, uh, senior markets commentator, excuse me, Mike Santoli is with us now, too, for his midday word. Uh, so he's going to stick to the hawkish, mes- yeah. hawkish message. 
for here forward. And it's digestible for now because if you think about it, there's only two Fed decisions between now and Halloween. Okay, so we're not talking about an aggressive Fed at this pace. It's 25%, uh, 25 basis points maybe in five weeks. You have the break in August. And, and the six-month Treasury bill is, again, the highest yield on the curve, 5.4. Yeah, so that kind of gets you that next hike and maybe the chance of another one mm-hmm. within the six-month span. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why the market's kind of settled into that mode. It's okay because it's you know maybe a little bit more dovish than the worst concerns were in February pre-SVB. If you remember, we were talking about 6% uh, on the Fed funds rate. And we got that slightly lower destination for the Fed without sacrificing sturdiness in the economy. I think that's the whole equation right here, along with the rebuild of animal spirits. The uptrend uh, has people encouraged. So I don't know that that means it's a catalyst for today. It feels like the next 3 to 5% in the S&P 500 is in coin toss mode right now because things are aligned for a pullback. Uh, Tesla and NVIDIA are acting way too much as twins again. Tesla's having a bad day. But both of them backing off. In in the past month, they've locked back into place as basically being the same stock. That was in unhealthy mode when we had the the blow-off in 2021. By and large, though, the the stock market and the bond market aren't exactly seeing eye-to-eye, though, right? The bond market's moving, again, closer to Powell. And the stock market, despite, you know, okay, today, yesterday, whatever, it's still well, not Well, that's only if you think, and I've never b- believed that the stock market rally was based on implied rate cuts coming anytime soon. Even though the bond market was pricing that in, that wasn't the premise for stocks going higher into this part of the year. It well, at was, least part of it was certainly not on the idea that there are going to be two more hikes. Yeah, sure, yeah, two more sure. hikes is... Five and a half. I mean, I I don't think that that was what people assumed six months ago, but you've kind of slowly uh, kind of had people acclimated to that type of idea. And again, it's coming when they're not racing to kill the jobs market because they think that's the only way to get inflation back into their zone. What they're not succeeding in doing is slowing the economy very much. Not a whole lot. I think it's only in, in pieces and in parts of the economy. But there's deceleration. I don't think you can deny that. No, that's, that's, uh, that's fair. You've seen what's going on with, with, uh, you know, with manufacturing and, and goods purchasing. And so all that stuff feels like it's, uh, it, it's at least okay. Look, we're running 1.9% on the Atlanta Fed GDP now. That's like 6% nominal, I guess, if we're at 4% inflation. That's still a pretty decent clip of overall growth. Sure, but they're, they're obviously confounded by the fact that they've done 500 basis points right. in, in barely more than a year. They haven't really been able to crack the labor market right. at, at all. And the economy at large is still hanging in sure. stronger than they expected it would be at this and point. And the market is behaving at le- at, as if there's a decent chance that that's the 1995 formula of we took the economy and the jobs market off the boil. We didn't actually have to really undercut the, econ- the economy very much. And we can pause. You know, maybe there's a cut down there so- down the road. But it's much more about, uh, you know, you don't want to use soft landing because I feel as if, you know, it- it's kind of like, are we landing at all or, or you know. Uh, but it does feel as if you've, you've restrained the economy without causing a, a broad contraction, yeah. at least for now. All right. I will see you on uh, closing bell. All right, that's Mike Santoli. We're back after this.
talk some CarMax, Carrie. Why? Because it reports tomorrow. Yeah. And since we have you today and you own the stock, we want your take. It's up 20% quarter to date, KMX is. Yeah, exactly. So CarMax is in an industry that had a real recession last year. And why? Because no one could buy a new car, so therefore they kept their used cars and they didn't sell them to CarMax or any of the dealers in, in used cars. That's starting to change. There is more supply. There's more used cars on the market. Prices are, are holding in. They're going up a little. We've heard that. We expect a good um, a good quarter, and they're going to talk about how business is picking up once more. We started to hear that from Carvana and, and other competitors. So we, we like it here and really happy that it's it's begun to perk up. Jason, you play it through AutoZone, the space? I do. I do. And I and I agree with Carrie. I mean, obviously, the supply chains have cleared up some, but the, the aging car is still on the road. Yeah. Um, and AZO is the way I play it. I see a lot of profitability and opportunity in the commercial segment. Um, so that's why we own AZO. All right, final trades. They're coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Three o'clock Eastern time, closing bell. Josh Brown joining me today along with Jessica Inskip, Eric Johnston, Canner. Say he's been a bears and understatement. We'll see what he thinks now about this rally we've had. Terry Duffy, the CME group is gonna join me as well. Look forward to having a conversation with all of our guests this afternoon. Let's do final trades. Jason Snipe, go first. I like Marriott here. Um, I think cross-border travel continues to come back online as well as a corporate traveler. They have really strong liquidity. I like this name. Gary Firestone. Fortive. So that's FTV. It's a mid-cap engineering company and software providing for healthcare technology and industrial uh, businesses. It's really started to move recently. We think that's a space, the mid-cap industrials that can continue to perform well. Joey. Don't get me fired up about Energy Terra Nova. <laughs> Rare to find a financial company that grows at 34% over the last four quarters or double digits over the last 36 months. That's exactly what Arch Capital Group has oh, yeah. done. Nice. Great company. Insurance. Go. How many times do you think the Fed's going to hike by the end of the year? I think, it's a Once, jump, I think it's a jump ball at this point. I think they're going Once. in July. Unfortunately, I believe that's a mistake. I think they're going in July. We'll see what happens there. All right. And I'll see everybody on the closing bell. A couple hours time. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.